0: Welcome to quick hits the only podcast that gets you smart eyes today's episode Nicotine Nazis. One of the most popular debating techniques, and it's become really popular since the advent of the internet, is to call your opponent a Nazi. You can do it directly, just call him a Nazi, or you can do it through indirect references like jackbooted thugs or the religious reich. And whenever this happens, your opponent is likely to shout Godwin's Law and declare themselves the winner of the debate, even though that's not really what Godwin's Law says. The accusation is seldom accurate, usually you should be calling them a fascist instead of a Nazi, but occasionally it's appropriate. Nazis love to burn books as part of their campaign to suppress and control information, so comparing today's modern day book burners and censors to Nazis makes sense. Comparing violent racists to Nazis is appropriate for obvious reasons. And when it comes to those carrying out the current war on smokers, no other group matches their tactics, approaches, and arguments as well as the Nazis. It's a damn near perfect fit. The anti-smokers, of course, bristle at this comparison, and they point out they're not rounding up smokers and sending them to death camps. Hitler never did that to smokers either. He simply vilified them, taxed them, lied about them, restricted advertising of tobacco, and forbid smoking in public places. Comparing Hitler's treatment of those he murdered to today's anti-smokers would be absurd, but comparing his treatment of smokers to the behavior of today's anti-smokers is a perfect apples-to-apples comparison. The very phrase, passive smoking, was coined by Fritz Lickett in his book Tobacco and the Organism, which he produced for the German Anti-Tobacco League. He had no evidence to back him up, and he claimed that smokers were poisoning everybody around them. He also insisted that coffee caused cancer. Passive smoking, of course, is the primary battle cry of today's nicotine nannies. And the phrase was invented by a Nazi. Today's tobacco nannies demand that no one ever smoke in any room they might enter someday. They claim that tornado force winds are necessary to clear smoke from a room. Hurricane force won't quite do it. Adolf also forbid anyone from smoking in any room that he might ever enter. Recently, California tried to raise the legal age to purchase tobacco to 21. Hitler raised it to 25. Under the control of the Nazis, smoking was banned in streetcars and in bars and in restaurants. Sound familiar? The Nazis also banned tobacco advertisements for movies and billboards and posters And no advertisement was allowed to show anybody engaging in a manly or professional activity while smoking. In the U.S., the FDA passed regulations limiting all tobacco advertisements to stark black-and-white text with no pictures of any kind in every store, on every billboard, and in any magazine with more than a 15% youth readership. And youth is very broadly defined. By their definitions, Sports Illustrated is a youth magazine. Anti-smokers are working hard to get rid of smoking in movies. I don't mean in the movies, I mean on the screen. It's already been banned in India, and here in America, there's a group working hard to try and get an automatic R rating to any movie that shows anybody smoking. R-rated movies don't usually do as well at the box office, so it's kind of a built-in fine, a built-in penalty. And Just think, under this edict if 101 Dalmatians were released today, it would have to be R-rated because Cruella de Vil smoked. And I think Geppetto did and Pinocchio, too. I'm not certain about that. Stalin liked to doctor photographs, and I went looking for information about the Nazis doing the same thing. A friend of mine had a book that he doesn't have any longer that he said had before and after pictures that showed... Adolf standing with somebody who was smoking, and then in the after picture it was airbrushed out. But I couldn't find much information on this on the internet. I did find a lot of historical revisionism here in America. For instance, blue singer Robert Johnson only has two photographs. There were only two photographs ever taken of him, and in one of them, he was smoking a cigarette. That's the photo the U.S. Post Office used to create a stamp honoring him but the cigarette was removed, and they did the same thing with a Jackson Pollock photograph. They used the photograph to create a stamp, but the cigarette that was in the photograph wasn't on the stamp. There's a couple of instances of James Dean photographs being digitally altered so that no cigarette was shown. A while back, a box set of Paul Simon's older works was released, And on the cover of it, it had a picture of the singer, an older picture. In the original picture, he was smoking a cigarette, but not on the album. That was all digitally removed. But in all honesty, we can't say that they're really emulating the Nazis here. Here, they're emulating Stalin. Of course, the anti-smoker movement never fails to mention the kids. Everything is for the children! We have to ban smoking in bars for the children. Maybe you should just keep the children out of bars, folks. And they love these advertisements that show smokers blowing smoke in babies' faces and smoking around kids. And all kinds of hyperbole about how dangerous that is. Hitler also voiced concern for the children, but he was a little more honest about his motives. He said, The state must declare the child to be the most precious treasure of the people, As long as the government is perceived to be working for the benefit of the children, the people will happily endure almost any curtailment of liberty and almost any deprivation. The Nazis, of course, perfected the big lie technique. You make a lie huge, you repeat it over and over, and pretty soon, most people will believe it. Even if there's no evidence for it, and it has no basis in fact. Nazis used radio and billboards and print, to teach Germans that Jews murder non-Jews, especially children, as part of their religious rituals. Jews were portrayed as weak, willed, diseased, stupid, and inferior. And school children were given an extra heavy dose of this propaganda. Today, the modern anti-smoker movement bombards us with advertisements on billboards, TV, radio, and print, insisting that secondhand smoke kills, even though there's no evidence to support that allegation. We're told that it gives kids asthma. Now, it's funny. I'm taking a lot of this from an article that I wrote for the Hitman Chronicle about three years ago. And I used to have a link on there to the American Lung Association to an article that said the title of the article was Secondhand Smoke Does Not Cause Asthma. But that's been removed. Surprise, surprise. Smokers are portrayed as weak-willed, diseased, stupid, and inferior, and we're all subjected to it daily. But school children are fed an especially heavy load of such propaganda. In the original article, I came to the conclusion that you probably should avoid calling people a Nazi just because it's trite, even if it's accurate. But it was accurate when you're referring to today's nicotine Nazis. But that article, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, was written three years ago. And the conclusion, while valid then, is no longer valid. In Calabasas, California, they took a step that the Nazis never did with smokers. And they banned smoking on the streets. That's right, on the sidewalks, in the road, anywhere have special little corralled areas where smokers are allowed to congregate. But that's it. And the mayor, Barry Grooveman, who is horribly misnamed, said that he was getting words of praise from as far away as Germany. Here's a free clue for you, Sparky. When somebody from Germany writes to you and compliments you on discriminating against an entire class of citizens... That's a bad thing. But it gets worse than that. Recently in Denver, people who owned a condo, property that they had bought, found that the condo association had changed their rules, and now smoking was banned in the condos, and they weren't going to be able to smoke in their own home any longer, and they took it to court. The judge said, yeah, that's okay. But it gets worse than that. Belmont, California is now discussing legislation to make it illegal to smoke anywhere in the city, anywhere except inside a privately owned single family standalone dwelling. You won't be able to smoke on the street. You won't be able to smoke in the car. You won't be able to smoke on your front porch or in your own backyard. And if you rent an apartment or you've purchased a condo, Or even a townhouse? You're paying for it? You're paying taxes on it? You thought it was your property? No, sorry. You can't smoke in your own home. Adolf never went this far. So, friends, the reason that the conclusion of that article, which I believe was accurate three years ago, no longer makes sense, no longer holds true, is because the way Adolf Hitler treated smokers was not nearly as bad as the way they're being treated by today's nicotine Nazis. And that's it for this episode of Quick Hits. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can simply understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations. You've been smartinized. The music that you're listening to is My Wonderful Shadow by the Aquamarines. You can hear it in its entirety and buy their CD at theaquamarines.com. This is probably the shortest and pithiest voicemail I've ever received. Hey, man, this is... Well, I can't tell you who this is because I, too, am scared. Excellent show, by the way. Keep on keeping it real, brother. Chris writes in and asks, Can a person be both religious and rational at the same time? Can a spiritual person also be a skeptic? I'd have to say, sure. People are seldom consistent in their beliefs and their approaches to life, or rational about some things, skeptical about some things, emotional about some things, and entirely foolish about some things. So yeah, I'd say it'd be perfectly possible for someone to be skeptical about most things and still be a religious person. I don't really like the word spiritual because it has such a fuzzy meaning and everybody interprets it differently. But I'd say, yeah, you could be skeptical and, and still believe in God. You're just not skeptical in that one part of your life. Although I don't think you could really be a hardcore skeptic and still be religious. I had an interesting email exchange with Jared about uh, an older show. One of the cool things with podcasts is they're out there for a long time, and a lot of times you'll get people responding to shows that he'd almost forgotten about. He writes, Great podcast. Thanks. Keep it up. Like many of your other listeners, I agree with about half of what you say, and the other half makes me think, and so this is the part I enjoy the most. And I particularly enjoy the podcast where you say your one word on politics is Choice. You see, I think that choice is sometimes a wolf in sheep's clothing and is not universally preferable. Let me explain myself. I agree that laws that limit you and reduce your rights reduce your choice, and this is almost always bad. However, choice can sometimes cause you stress. You see, choice comes with baggage. They come with the names Responsibility and Regret. He then talks a bit about Barry Schwartz, who has written books on this whole subject, and a link to a video podcast called TED, which I'll talk about in a minute. And in the Barry Schwartz episode, Barry makes a very eloquent and entertaining speech about why choice is a wolf in sheep's clothing, why it's bad. Let me give you an example. I am at the moment unhappy with my cellular phone. The photos it takes are grainy and the memory card is too small and I can't plug headphones into it unless I buy them from the phone company for a stupid price. So now I think about this every time I use it, and I feel bad. Within days of buying it, I was wondering if other phones were better. They probably weren't, but that's not the point. This angst was created by choice. It doesn't stop with the frivolous. This problem of choice also means professionals in our society, doctors, lawyers, engineers, etc who are held in great esteem for taking responsibility for hard decisions are handing the stress and responsibility back to us. Should we operate on the tumor? It's up to you! Should we sue for damages when it all goes wrong? You tell us! Besides the responsibility and regret, there is one other point about choice. Sometimes we're not the best qualified people to make serious decisions. For instance, decisions that affect society and the world around us may require tremendous insight much hard work, and expertise like foreign policy. (laughs) Well, I would point out that the experts we have in place are not really doing that great a job, and I think you could probably go out with a a fishnet uh, walking down any city street and catch about 12 people who would be better than the current clowns that we have in office, or for that matter, most of the past clowns that we have. But I can see his point. Uh, And I will put a link to the Barry Schwartz speech where he talks about this. And it is, of course, more confusing when you've got a thousand brands of salad dressing to pick from instead of three. But I disagree with Barry, and I disagree with Jared here, because the angst after a purchase or after making a decision is also a choice. Now, I probably don't strike you as a Mary Englebright kind of guy, but there's a poster of hers, an older one that's been around for a long time, that I really love and I think it just sums it up perfectly. It has a picture of a fork in the road, in the middle of a woods, and there's a little girl walking down one fork. And there's a signpost at the fork, and the sign on the path the girl is walking down says, your life. And the sign on the empty path says, no longer an option. And I think this is a good way to approach things and obviously you can't do it 100% all the time, but the regret and the remorse and the angst over making bad choices is a choice. So make your choice and don't look back, which by the way is the title of the poster. Don't look back. That's the choice. And that's my choice as to the way that I view my past mistakes and errors and decisions. And I think it's a healthy way to approach them. Jared closes with, So anyway, these are a few things that make me think that choice is not always a good thing and why I enjoyed your podcast. Because as I did not totally agree with you and therefore had to think, I enjoyed it greatly. Isn't it interesting that so many people, when you hit them with something they don't agree with, they close up and it's a bad thing? Isn't it much better to make the choice to say, hey, you made me think? People who really enjoy that response, I think, are truly andized. The best part of this letter was the link to TED, which is a meeting of some of the most brilliant people in the world, and very well-produced, very entertaining podcasts of their various talks. They have them available in video or audio. And I would suggest the video because they use a lot of visual aids. I will put a link to that. It's TED.com. But I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I heartily recommend the one that Michael Shermer did. Because it's just brilliant. And uh, watch that and tell me honestly if you saw the gorilla or not. Now, see, so you got to go watch it to know what I'm talking about. Hey, guys, you know I love hearing from you. You can write to hitman at davehit.com. You can find that address in the MP3 tags of this file, or you can go to davehit.com, spelled with two T's, and you'll find it all over the place there. You can also send me a voicemail at 206-203-4488. As always, never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion, and therefore should not be taken too seriously.